0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie, and today I have Dr. Rakish Rana on the show, also known as a Claire Coach, as we continue the series of Psyche. Uh, Rakish is a life coach. He has a background in IT and project management for over a period of 20 years. He then took a turn to formal coaching about six years ago and graduated from the Academy of Executive Coaching with a practitioner's diploma. He uses a very individual approach when he coaches clients. And most importantly, we're going to be talking about the necessity to establish new new means by which we can alter our mindset and the way that we perceive things and the way that we take on the world and, and use it as a a takeoff for, for new change and implementing new patterns and strategies to help us change our behavior for the better. Um, and having experienced life coaching myself, I am thoroughly looking forward to hearing his take on it.
1: Hi Rakesh, welcome to Unplug with Annie.
2: Hello Annie, so Thank you very much for having me on.
1: It, it's such a pleasure. And this is just an opportunity for me to firstly get to know you a bit more and for the listeners to get to know your, your journey a little bit more so tell us about the specific kind of coaching you do because you are called the clear coach um, yeah. tell us a little bit how you got into coaching and what coaching you specialize in
2: okay so getting into the coaching I guess I guess this goes back quite a way I've always been a bit of an academic a bit of a high achiever and you know Typical Asian, you know, always impressed upon me to study hard, study hard, you'll get a good job, all of that, and so, um, you know, coming home with ninety-eight percent in anything wasn't good enough, so it was always a case of oh yeah, aim for the highest, and 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 I did, and I guess you know, at a a young age, as you're you're studying away, you're studying away, opportunities present themselves, so it was just a natural flow to go on and do a bachelor's, then I did a master's, and then I did a PhD, and um, whilst I was doing the PhD, I got an opportunity to look after the pastoral care of undergraduate students for a couple of years. So that was my first kind of insight into looking after people and making sure that they're okay, looking after their well-being as such. Mm-hmm. And then when I finished my PhD, it was in science, it was in toxicology, so study of mechanisms of disease. I, I decided I had enough of science and I needed to do something different. And opportunity presented itself to go and work for an investment bank as an IT professional. So, they were looking for non-IT PhD graduates, so uh, I thought, yeah, let's give that a go. So, I moved from the Midlands down to London, that was my first foray down to London, and um, I then started working, but as soon as I started working, something seemed amiss, something didn't feel right. You know, I was in a good job and, you know, to all intents and purposes, you know, I I, I should have been riding high, but uh, I wasn't. However. I kind of let those emotions just simmer away in the background and I just carried on with work. I then not soon after got married, not soon after that had bought a house, not soon after that had my first child, not soon after that you know a second child so you know life just moved on and I worked hard, I got promotions and uh, again opportunities presented themselves and at work the one thing that I really enjoyed was um As I got promoted, I got more responsibility uh, to look after people. So I started managing teams. So the real enjoyment there was, you know, promoting staff, developing them, and and, and that gave me a real buzz. 12 years into my IT career, I would say, uh, you know, we're going back to about eight years ago now. So I did IT for about 20 years in total. About eight years ago, I decided that um, I'm going to get a life coach People have been telling me this for a while, they said, Rakesh, you need a life coach. You're always saying that something's missing. You don't know what you're doing with your life. Go and get a life coach. And it was through being coached, I really, really understood what it is that I enjoyed. And it was that helping. It was the helping of staff, helping people. Now, I also probably should mention, I'm the eldest sibling of four, but I've got about 20, 30 cousins. So, um, And being the oldest, I would always, you know, people coming to me for advice or asking me questions. So that wasn't, wasn't uncommon. So through being coached, I realized that, yeah, that's what I want to do, help people. And actually, coaching was new to me. And the thing about coaching and the beauty about it is that it's very sit backish. And what I mean about that is everything I've done in life up until then was about telling people what to do. It was a very directive approach. It was very operational. Do this, do that. Somebody's coming for, to me for advice. Go and do this. However, the difference with coaching is it's not about giving advice. It's about understanding the person's problem or challenges and really asking the right kind of questions so that they come up with their own answers. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, I mean, you people may have given you some great advice and there's plenty of times you haven't followed through with that advice. And the reason is it's not because it's not good advice or it wouldn't help. It just doesn't feel right. It's not your own. You don't own it. And that's Mm -hmm. the difference between coaching and and that's what I understood that actually I could have more of an impact if I was to actually get people to take responsibility for their own actions because then they're more than more likely to follow through with them. Mm -hmm. And that's how I then got into coaching. I did a, I formalized it with some training. I did a practitioner's diploma and it was through this training. One of the questions that they asked was, who are you as a coach? You know, how do you coach and who are you? And that's where this CLEAR coach came out. The CLEAR is actually an acronym. I mean, people I think in the first instance mistake it for clear for clarity, you know, the clarity of mind, etc. But you can take it that way, however, it's more of an acronym. Um, and the letters stand for C for connection, L for language, E for energy and enthusiasm, A for awareness, and R for results. And I firmly believe that these are uh, it's a framework of values and behaviours that underpin uh, all of my relationships in coaching. But I think it's even more far-reaching than that. I, I do believe that using this clear framework is great for any relationship where you're looking for success. And, and I've used it successfully in, say, um, dating relationships, business relationships, just using this framework. You know, the, the connection, you want to be able to connect with somebody. If you can't connect, you can't trust, you can't really start on that building a relationship the language comes about it needs to be simplistic you can't be jargon free too often in this day and age you see people on say dating apps or whatsapp you know just having conversations through emojis how often do people miscon- misconstrue what is meant so it's being very clear on what you're saying in, that, in terms of language and then energy and enthusiasm who doesn't love to be with somebody who's energetic and enthusiastic I mean that's infectious so I find that if I can be that for my clients they can get that energy from me and I and I like it back as well and that's key in any relationship Mm -hmm. a about awareness is about too often people are inside their own heads Uh, you know they have their self-limiting beliefs they don't really know what's going on you know they don't know what they don't know so awareness is about raising one's self-awareness And through that coaching process, or if it's even in a relationship, it's through discussions, it's through reflection, about understanding where you are. Because it's only when you understand where you are, you know where you need to go. And then results. The coaching process is about results. My clients want results, whether it's success, or dating, or loss of weight, or presentation skills, whatever it is, it's about results. And I think that's the same with any relationship. We embark on any kind of relationship. A business one maybe about a deal, a romantic one, maybe about a marriage. It's about results. Focus on the results and then celebrate the results as well. so and that's what I said to my clients, use this clear framework, it'll stand you in good you know stand you in good stead, and I think that underpinning it with care and providing the value, uh, I think it, I think uh, for me it's worked really well, and that's how and why I'm called the clear coach.
1: okay, amazing. Well, yeah, you said a lot of really good things, which I can definitely resonate with um having done some studying of coaching recently mm. myself and just the, the idea of asking powerful questions i think that's really important because i think when you're in something and you're really emotionally involved in a situation you don't you can't see it from outside the box and a coach kind of steps in and is able to do that um exactly. so, so yeah for sure that's really interesting um in terms of you going on this journey being a coach now and and realizing I know you mentioned before that something was amiss in in the old Mm. life if you like what 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 would you say has been the the most significant change when you look back is there something Mm. that you you miss of that old life or is that do you just feel so much more fulfilled with what you're doing now
2: I, I think the being coached was such a transformative transformative process for me That was transformative, and then becoming a coach became transformative. I was, what we'd say, quite a materialistic person before. It was the chasing of the the cars, the holidays, and and don't get me wrong, I still love a great holiday, I still love a great car, but it's not what I chase anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've come to accept that there's plenty of abundance in this world, and I know that things will happen. If I do right and do right by others, things will happen and I don't need to chase and also by becoming a coach i've just learned to let go of a lot more uh, a lot more acceptance uh, understanding that and as i mentioned to you you know being an academic and setting very high standards for myself i would expect that of others as well so then i would get angry or upset if people weren't delivering uh, to my so called standards and but learning to accept that actually everybody's different and uh, learning to accept that Everybody makes mistakes. It's okay. It's, it's not life or death. Uh, and that's uh, just left me a lot more calm, a lot more at peace. That actually, it's a lot more of a laid back approach, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm a lot happier about that. And I think that's, that's been the big change. But I think also, it, when I was in that corporate career, a lot of people get asked this question at interview time. Where do you see yourself in five years time? <laughs> I, could never an- I could never answer that question it's only now I know well actually I'm gonna be doing coaching for the rest of my life so that's right
1: wow that's interesting that's interesting and yeah I think I've lost count of how many times I've been asked that question Um, so we're, we're obviously we're in this day and age where I think more than ever especially now having experienced a pandemic as well you know one thing we are lacking is connection and you know we do get to do that through technology but I feel like with the increase of technology usage, we've become quite an instant gratification wanting, you know, um, generation in, in so yeah. many ways and even the younger generation. Um, obviously coaching is a process and you build a relationship and it takes time. But is there a certain sense of within coaching then, obviously it's not really focused on instant gratification, it's, it's, it's consistent work but would you say that there's a period of time in which you think sustained cha- sustained changes, um, uh, sustainable changes are really able to you know, cement and take place? Um, yeah. As opposed to you know, something which clients can actually continue into their everyday life, even if they stop with you as a coach, stop working with you. What is that period of time it actually takes to embed yeah. new behavior and new patterns, new ways of thinking?
2: I mean, it's going to be a bit of a flippant answer, but realistically, it's, you know, it's uh, how long's a piece of string kind of a question because, uh, answer. And the reason I say this is if somebody wanted to stop smoking, they could do it tomorrow and never smoke again. I've, I, you know, I know, I've, I know people like that. And then there's others that want to lose weight and, you know, have a target of six months, but still haven't done it in 12 months. And more often than not, what contributes to all of this is one, the will, you know, wanting to do it. What's, what's the purpose behind doing it? Uh, there needs to be a strong enough purpose for somebody to want to have that change because change is never easy. Uh, as humans, we, we like to sink into just mediocrity. Change is challenging and uh, that growth does take effort and time. Um, creating the right environments is key. And, you know, if, if the right environment is created tomorrow and that environment remains... That, that will sustain that change. So when a coach comes along, the coach helps the individual to understand well, what, what's going wrong, what's the current challenge for the person to one, make the change and then sustain it. More often than not, it's an environmental issue and that environment can be in the mindset. Right? So it's a mental environment or a physical environment as well. So by working with my clients, I start challenging their environments Uh, Which in in turn is changing their mindsets. And through a process, I would say on average, and this is how I kind of pull my coaching program together. I've seen with my clients a big shift in about three months, sustained change. And what I do is I stay with them for an additional three months to ensure that the support is still there. And the one thing I say, I always hear from people, oh, I know a coach. I know somebody they've had a coach for two years or three years. And I think that that's, there's an issue there because rather than a coach, they've become a crutch for the person. So it's important to understand the coaching process should be an enabler for somebody mm-hmm. so that in six months' time, my clients can happily leave me and I should really not need to see them ever again. And the only time I've only had one client come back to me and the only reason she came back was she was working on this big project, a lot of change going on. And she said to me, Rakish, the one thing I found really useful was the telephone calls we used to have in between our formal sessions. You know, there were 10, 15 minutes and it really inspired me, motivated me and, and made sure I was on track. So rather than having a coaching program, is it okay if we just do weekly calls for 15 minutes? And that's all she needed for a period of two months. And mm-hmm. she honestly just went on to achieve what she wanted to achieve but it was just that somebody to be there for her to make sure to act as a sounding board not to judge her but to be able to challenge or encourage and support her
1: yeah that that's so good that extra support for sure um you said something about environment i just off the back of that a mm. question came to mind it's, particularly at this time where a lot of people are are stuck in a particular environment which might not be an enabler uh, in a way which enables them to thrive so not a positive Mm. enabler but actually very negative but at the same time it's not an environment they can shift away from and get out of and therefore that's not an option so in those situations is it is it really work on themselves that they need to be doing as opposed to obviously the natural thing to, to want to leave that environment and exit that environment and what what advice would you give to someone in that in that kind of situation
2: okay so, so the physical environments can be quite different i mean there could be issues where they're in a in a relationship or in a household where yes there may be things going on and, and that's a, a different matter to be resolved by different organizations i guess but i've spoke to plenty of people who who are living in a one bedroom bedsit as such and you're right it's not an environment that's conducive to creativity however Even a small change can make a huge difference. And sometimes it's just about creating a mood board, something visual for you to look at on a certain part of the wall to give you inspiration to do something. Um, And and especially people working from home, I'll I'll say to them, as as hard as it might be or as difficult as it might be, you need to create some sort of an environment where you can separate work from your personal life. Whether that be one corner that's wholly dedicated to your work, and nothing else, and whether it's covered up or whatever. But you need to be able to separate where you're working to where you're living, essentially. Uh, and it doesn't matter how small that space, and it could be pictures that remind you of work, or pictures that remind you, this is my play area. So it is making even the smallest of change. But then you touched on, yes, it's about, if you can't get out and you don't have a, a wee workspace to go to, or you can't go to, um, Uh, uh, or you can't go to a uh, a physical location especially during lockdown. Working on yourself is key, Uh, changing that mental environment and it tends to be about reframing how we see things and it's also about reframing the language we use about certain things. Too often I hear people who approach me saying I've got this problem and I'll stop them in their tracks and say let, let's just change that. It's not a problem. It's just a challenge. Because when you see it as a challenge, you're able to overcome it. Mm-hmm. When you see something as a problem, already you're putting up your defenses, you're putting up your rules. You're not, you're not really thinking in a solution-focused way. So just renaming it already helps you start thinking, oh, this is something I can overcome.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a great piece of advice for sure and very doable. I think sometimes you just need practical things. That you can Mm. you know immediately do so obviously there's also this perception with coaches that um you know coaches therapists uh, anyone in this kind of profession that um you know they have it all together they're they're (laughs) they're, you know they must lead a really perfect life they can handle their emotions they can do everything perfectly what are the personal struggles that you've had to deal with because obviously it's not the case everyone's Mm. human um, of course. Is, is it a is it a case where like coaches always have coaches in their life as well? You know, for that sake of accountability. And how do you address periods in your life when you are challenged by something? And perhaps mm. it's easier. It's definitely easier to be there for other people, but it, it's definitely tougher to be there for yourself in a way, isn't it?
2: Of course, and I, and I do say. People probably don't know this, but I think I'm probably quite a selfish person because I firmly believe in actually if I can't Look after myself if I if I'm not making sure that I'm at my optimum I really can't help others as much as I get energy and feel motivated and get confident by helping others It's it's not always there, you know I don't have a client every minute of the day that I'm talking to so yes, you're right There are days where you wake up and you think oh god, you know, it's what we're gonna do here and there are struggles. However, I think by being on this coaching journey, by helping so many people, I know the tools. It's like you said, I know the structure. I know the processes. So, and it is about practice. There isn't, there's nothing, there's no such thing as instant. It's about continual practice. So it is about, I wake up feeling rubbish. I know exactly what I need to do to get out of that frame of mind. It, there, years ago, when I was in my corporate world, there were days I would be spiraling. You know, there would be days I'd be going into work on the tube, not wanting to get off the tube or or even getting out of the tube station and wanting to go back home again, entering in those downward negative spirals. But now it's easy to catch myself. okay. having a meditative practice, um, uh, a meditative practice helps that, you know, to be more self-aware. But also it's just practice and knowing it, catching yourself, catching those triggers. And you mentioned it about having accountability. Uh, and it's not accountability just by yourself but having those accountability partners. A coach is such or a therapist is But you know, I have my family, I have my wife, I have my kids, you know um, They're my accountability partners as such as well. Mm. So that, that and that helps yeah. But it is quite funny what you said though, that you know as a coach and a therapist that have it all In fact, it was my daughter walked up to me the other day She goes dad, you know, I read somewhere that coaches and therapists they're the worst kind of people because actually they're trying to solve everybody's problems so they've got the worst problems <laughs> no, i don't think so that's quite oh, funny gosh.
1: oh gosh yeah i know i so say some people probably do think like that don't they <laughs>
2: well, I, well I, I think a lot of it comes from and i guess this is where i don't I, I guess i don't entirely agree with certain coach coaching aspects you i think coaches kind of fall into a couple of categories there's those that have had a tough upbringing or they've been through tough very tough and challenging times you know times that i can only imagine because i've been fortunate enough not to have experienced hardship or any kind of down downtime in my life but you get these people that have gotten through it and figured out how to get themselves through it and and are riding high and you know are doing great And then they're trying to coach other people. But I I think what they mistakenly do is try and apply the same principles they apply to themselves to other people. And I don't believe you can do that with everybody. Everybody's Mm -hmm. different. And I think by having a coaching practice, which you study for, I'm still always learning. I'm always learning new coaching techniques and coaching practices because I know that everybody's different and everybody will need to be treated differently. I can't, as a coach, apply my thinking onto them. Whereas there's a lot of coaches, I think, because they've come through hardship, think that they can help Mm -hmm. people. I mean, they do. Don't get me wrong. They don't. They they, they do help people. But rather than being pure coaches, they're more like mentors or, you know, or, or, yeah, I would say more mentors rather than pure coaches. Because a pure coach is more about asking questions rather than giving advice
1: yeah yes for sure yeah no it's an important distinction too i mean you just said about you know a person you mentioned having maybe a difficult upbringing for example so my next question in regards to in regards to upbringing then because obviously we grow up there are certain values and beliefs which are passed on to us from our caregivers and Mm. you know not everyone has that perfect childhood and and obviously there's limitations set by our parents quite o- often and we don't even realize you know they become sort of deeply rooted and embedded into our in, in, into mm-hmm. the ways that we think and we we might not even see it as a problem till later in our life and in adulthood we realize we see these things playing out more so in those kind of situations where you know where we might recognize that there's a pattern which is maybe not our own thinking it's the thinking of, of our, our parents or somebody who was around us or even someone from school or maybe somebody had said something and from that point of time you know there's a specific thought which is it was just stuck um mm. how do we how do we what's a very practical way then of not just i mean I'm, I'm sure like awareness and recognition is obviously very important as well but once that once we have that awareness what can we do about it i know you mentioned practicing you know we have to mm. practice a thought to make it new and and, and and make it sustainable but is there anything else that we can do when we just recognize that okay there is this there is this limiting belief i have somewhere and it's not really something i i want for myself
2: mm sometimes it's about a lot of the times we don't realize that we have a limiting belief and that's and that's i suppose half of the issue so even being being aware or being mindful because it's become so normalized because it's become our behavior we don't have that and and more often than not it requires that third party like a coach to be able to explore what's going on because when when i'm with a client and they're talking to me I'm reflecting back what they're saying. And when I reflect that back and they hear it back for the first time, they're like, well, that doesn't sound right. Or mm-hmm. really, is that what I said? And, and, and that's when they get the awareness. Uh, and that's when they realize, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was speaking to this one gentleman who was really struggling to get promoted. And, and we were talking away, talking away at work, you know, and he was a hard worker. You know, I could see he was very intelligent. And, um, However, the issue always was that he would always be going to his bosses, showing his work, and, you know, it was always, he was always getting assurance. He was always wanting the assurance from his bosses that he was doing okay and this is the right way to do things, even though he was very self-sufficient. And I think that he would always get overlooked by somebody who was more self-sufficient, who would just go on and do things and not bother their boss, you know, the boss's time so much. We kind of parked that, and then we started talking about his home life. And again, this gentleman lived with his mother and father at home. He had his own kids, so it was a three three generation home. And and I said, "How are things at home?" He goes, "Okay." And and I started talking about his relationship with his father and everything. And um, and what what transpired was that actually being at home, a lot all of the decisions were still made by his father, even though he was like the bread earner and the father father had retired. The father was still pretty much the dominant figure in the house and. Everything still needed to be cleared by him. So this belief that somebody who's in more senior position needs to be checked in on was following through at work. And and that hadn't clicked to him. But through that discussion, all of a sudden, he became aware of it. All of a sudden, he realized that, oh, oh wow, I've got this limiting belief that anybody that's older than me or more senior, I've got to get their permission for everything. Mm. And as soon as he realized that, what we then talked about was, okay you can't all of a sudden change your personality and literally not check in with your boss anymore. <laughs> However, what can you do? And it was the manageable things. The first thing was maybe having a chat with the boss to, to understand all oh, and not say anything to the boss, but just go in and talk about himself saying, I understand this is what I've been doing and I need to change. So can you help me do that? And that's what, and that was the discussion that he had that really helped him move on and actually get, ended up getting a promotion after that. Six wow. months down the line. So it does take effort. It's not very easy. But one thing I would suggest, something practical is to start becoming curious. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, be kind to yourself. Don't, don't, don't like tell, you know, get get angry with yourself for making decisions that you regret afterwards. We do what we do. And I think it's okay. But we need to be able to learn from them. So it's about becoming curious. If we're doing something repetitively, become curious. Why am I doing this? What value is it adding? What am I doing it for? Who am I doing it for? Does it still stand true? And it's amazing. And sometimes it it, it could be just taking a diary for a day. It's taking one day and just taking a diary and and observing your own actions. It's almost like looking out as a third person saying, what is this person doing every hour? And just checking in, even if it's just writing notes every hour, check in, what did I do? And something as simple as that can have a profound effect
1: yeah no thanks for sharing that and and something else which i've been reading a lot about recently i feel like it's it, it's a new term in a way just because i feel like social media goes through these um these moments where like one thing is is specifically trending especially in the, in this kind of space um where we talk about emo- our emotional health and mental health and um a, a term of people that are using a lot is imposter syndrome and when I started looking Mm. into it I realized like okay that that you know that's what it means and a lot of people are feeling that that they claim to be feeling that way about themselves and saying that I think I have this Um, so can you clear it up for us in terms of a bit more about what imposter syndrome is and if we feel like we have imposter syndrome what is something that we can practically do to break away from that then because where does where does that actually come from the feeling of you know not feeling like we deserve something
2: yeah it is it does come down to a lack of that self-esteem you know where our actions are uh, not congruent with our emotions let's say Mm -hmm. and it's more common than you probably think a lot of people suffer it in all areas. In fact I was chatting with an actress friend of mine just the other day and she was telling me when she was starting out it was it was terrible because there she was being told she's great she's great you know that was a great scene or great cut and then inside she's thinking no I'm not you know so a lot of the times I would say it's about one again it comes to awareness and uh, becoming aware that yes I'm feeling this way. It may or, and, when we start putting labels on things, I think that's when we start, when we start labeling things anyway, I think we can start heading down problems. It's more about understanding your own emotions and what you feel about a certain situation. If you've done something and somebody's applauded you for it, actually, and you've, you're actually feeling completely different to that, mm-hmm. it's about understanding well, where's that coming from. So it's starting to understand what your emotions are feeling and where that might and start exploring. And this is where I come back to, to start becoming curious. So it's mm-hmm. about being curious about your emotions and why they're not mirroring what others might be saying. Is that other person lying? Is that really true? Or, and the imposter syndrome does tend to come a lot at the beginning of somebody's maybe career or, or, or new actions. So more often than not, the one thing I would suggest is keep going. And it is about, doing new opportunities all the time because imposter syndrome will be alleviated by reinforcement of that positive feedback. So Mm -hmm. have that feedback loop so that if you are doing something and you're still feeling negative about it, well, actually if you've got enough positive reinforcement to say it's okay, that will start overcoming how you start feeling. Mm -hmm. And again, having that accountability partner as well to be able to talk about it, to be able to go to a third party. who's not going to be judgmental. It could be a family member, actually, or a friend saying, look, I did this. I feel like this. What do you think? You're impartial to it. You're not the director. You're not a co-star, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. What do you think? And they'll give you an honest opinion Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and understand why you're feeling that way or give you an insight to why you might be feeling because they may know you better than you know yourself. Yeah
1: yeah and you mentioned labels obviously being I think mm. to some degree there's pros and cons with labels isn't there because mm. do you think that labels can sometimes also be um, can also be helpful to a certain degree in the sense that it makes someone feel like okay that there, there are other people out there going through this this thing, whatever this thing is and I you know I'm not alone and actually now I know what this issue is.
2: It can help. It helps to get an initial understanding. My issue with labels is that uh, a person can take ownership of that and then use it as an excuse mm. to, want not do anything or use it as an excuse to counter their maybe bad behaviour or lack of, uh, inactual, you know, lack of action or any kind of inaction because they've all of a sudden labelled themselves. A label is just a, it's something to represent you in a moment of time. Too many people take ownership of it and then do nothing about it.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, sure. I read a great book, uh, I'm a big fan of him, Benjamin Hardy. And he released a book earlier this year Earlier this year, called uh, Personality Isn't Permanent. Mm-hmm. So this goes back to this whole thing that I grew up in, in terms of the corporate world about uh, archetypes and whether you're green or red or whether you're, uh, you know, all sorts of things. And I, I, I've never liked it. I've never liked that label because somebody associated them as a red personality, that it was okay for them to be angry and dominant and shout at people. And then they would say, oh, because I'm a red. I'm like, well, no, you're not, you know. And they took ownership of that label. So for me, personality is malleable and it's what you make of it. Mm. And, and I firmly believe that. And I think it's about making yourself better.
1: Yeah, I know, for sure, for sure. I, I, I definitely agree with you, for sure. Um, just my last question would be, just more, I suppose, apps for for the current situation that everyone's going through in the world. And just the fact that I think one thing we've all realized is we're not quite in control as much as perhaps we thought we were. Um, Uncertainty, you know, it definitely is challenging. It challenges all of us in in different ways and we all all react differently. But how do we then, obviously, I I feel like uncertainty, especially a situation like the pandemic, Um, it's had adverse effects everywhere people have lost jobs Um, you know you even people like I am quite a planner and I I like to organize things but I'm I've not really been planning too much you know more than a couple of days ahead because things are constantly changing Mm -hmm. and I think there's been a lot of mourning of what we once knew as well is there a way of because I I really do find a lot of peace in this word surrender because I associate it with just just like taking my hand off the steering wheel and kind of letting go not necessarily meaning giving up but I think for a lot of people it it kind of means giving up and Mm. it doesn't have a very positive association with it is there a way that we can surrender you know to the circumstances in a in a better way in a healthier way as opposed to feeling it is it's literally you know the end of the world and um, everything is just working against
2: us. I, I was I was talking about this with somebody literally uh, before you know before this call was scheduled, and um, it's well, first of all, it's about that acceptance and all of this change, all of this unprecedented rate of change we go through that grief curve, uh, you know, the Kubler-Ross grief curve. Uh, so, you know, there is that shock and denial. There's the anger, there's the depression before we st- start to learning to accept it and start learning to thrive. With that curve, having one change, you know, it's difficult enough. However, what we've seen is because we've had so many changes, it hasn't given the people... Time to go through the curve, come out the other side. And actually, we're just getting multiple curves coming on us all of the time. And that's why people are feeling so overwhelmed, don't know what they want to do. And it is unprecedented times. Um, There are no simple solutions. However, I do think that accepting that this is what we're going through. And I think about the surrendering. For me, it's more about surrendering to what I'm engaging with. So what's triggering me? You know, what's triggering me or anybody else in, in terms of this overwhelm? Well, first of all, it's all the news. It's all the social media. The one thing I did when we first went into lockdown was, uh, you know, my social media accounts. I was I was following so many accounts, it was crazy. And the one thing I decided to do was this hashtag unfollow. Uh, so unless an, uh, an account educates me, inspires me, or entertains me, I've stopped following it. Mm -hmm. because it wasn't doing anything for my mental health Mm -hmm. I started moving uh, started following the whole good movement positive news uh, accounts because you know what that's what I want to that's what I want to fill my mind with yeah so surrender I think is about surrendering to the things that aren't good for you Mm -hmm. um and that's easy as much as as much as the chaos that's going on around the world you know not watching the news isn't burying your head in the sand You know what's going on. You can always just check in to see what's happening. I'm sure there's plenty of people that will tell you what's going on, but you don't need to actively engage with it. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing. And what I've had to learn to do is to disengage from that because it's only by disengaging from that has allowed me to be productive and creative in what I want to do. And it comes back to focusing on yourself. It becomes becoming self-aware, working on yourself. It's that self-preservation because only when I'm at my optimum, I'm gonna be able to help others. Yeah. And I think for me, that's what surrender means.
1: Yeah, no, that's brilliant. That's true, that's true. I think mental health first for sure. And yeah, completely relate to that and agree. I think definitely did a, a bit of an unfollowing clean out in my, mm. on my social media as well. Um, it was so good to talk to you, Rakesh. It was really nice having you on this show. Thanks for coming on and, and sharing a little bit about your journey.
2: Thank you, Anissa. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. And and, again, thank you for inviting me on. Thank you.
1: Pleasure, pleasure.
0: And that was the end of another episode on Unplug with Annie. We're continuing this series next week. Until then, stay tuned with everything Unplug on the IG and Facebook page Unplug with Annie and also the website www.unplugwithannie.com. If you'd like to sign up to the newsletters, you can do so on the website and you will receive special newsletters every week, way before Sunday's release. So you get to know ahead of time who Sunday's guest is, a little more in-depth detail about the guest um, and lots more, of course. So stay tuned till next week.